Hey, listeners, welcome to EM Over Belize, the official podcast of the ACOP. Andy, why are you laughing? We're in Belize. We are are in Belize. Can you believe it? It's unbelievable. Happy birthday, man. Thank you so much. Indeed. We're here with some uh, awesome uh, guests. Uh, Obviously, um, I've got myself here and uh, uh, the famous uh, Dr. Little. Unfortunately, uh, Drew had to uh, get on the plane. He avoided this us morning. by getting on a plane yes, back to America. Yes, so. and Tanner, sadly, has not been able to join us this time. But uh, we are doing a live show just for Drew, and uh, we've got some amazing guests with us. Gentlemen, if you'd like to introduce yourselves. Hey, I'm Drew Jones. Uh, I work with uh, Andy in Orlando um, at uh, Advent Health East Orlando. And I'm Kevin Tomasic. Same. I work with Andy at Advent Health East Orlando. They're thanks the, for having us. No, thanks yeah, for being here. Absolutely. So we're going to do some short stacks. And for the listeners, you know what these are. These are more conversational, fun, uh, off-the-cuff kind of conversations where you get to hear. I guess this is about as em over easy as it gets. It really, raw, raw really and, is. Raw and uh, raw and whatever. So we're going to start with the first question. Unfiltered was the Unf- word you were. That was the word you were grasping unfiltered. for. Yes. Not raw, but unfiltered. Like the so. water in Belize. <laughs> like the water in Belize. To Kevin's chagrin, very worried about the very, water. Very much. The entire time that we've been here. Water police Drinking pad. water. So, would you ever donate an organ to someone in this room? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Which organ? Kevin's the skeptic. <laughs> Pragmatist. So, which, so, one, which one are we talking so about? So, I, I think that's a valid point, though, because there are some organs that you have extra of or multiple of. Like, I think a kidney's something I would definitely donate to anybody. Uh, part of my liver, I would donate to somebody. I don't know what other lung? organ I get. I mean, I guess I could give you give a lobe of a lung. Yes, you get a lobe of a lung. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah. But like, if it was my life versus your life, probably not. I love you, but yeah. um, well, you have different responsibilities. You know, yeah. we all yeah. have our own responsibilities. Yeah, I guess mm-hmm. that's true because you know, three of us at the table have kids, and so it's the uh, I, I do need to be alive for a little bit longer. Now, maybe not, maybe not all my all, all the time, but a little bit longer. So I just got life insurance. We're good. I don't know if that includes <laughs> all de- death by organ removal. Death by organ transplant. Yeah, I don't. Think that, that would be interesting to see if there's a policy there. Well, you died because you gave your heart to your friend. We might give you. Yeah, we'll give you a little bit of money. You're, you weren't a terrible person. Okay, wait though. Let's let's up the ante. Yeah. If you needed a stool transplant, and it had to be from one of the people in this room, and you knew that, would you still take it, or would you wait six months to get an anonymous? John, see, this is why John's on our show. Well, let's see. Who gives stool transplants normally? No, like it. There's a specific diet you have to follow for a week. Yeah, like well, then I'll probably take the appropriate six months later diet plan. <laughs> to wait to get somebody else. <laughs> I've seen what we've been eating the last couple of days. I don't know about. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, I because because there are instances where people need this. Yeah, fecal transplant fecal for like transplant. bad cases yeah, of C diff, C. diff that fail yeah. that fail things, and it's it's way. I would take it. I'll, I'll say that. Like, yeah, you, you trust you trust the I the trust others the in the room enough yes. to. To fecal. I'll take the six-month healthy diet. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay. The non-Belize water uh, diet. I'd, <laughs> I'd probably just you know, take whatever's fastest. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's stool either way, man. Six months, it's still going to be stool. Yeah, it's not like they're going to make it in a smoothie and make me drink it. It's going to go in a feeding tube. and. Yeah, we are. Right. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. going to be good. Whew, we, we came out swinging. So Kevin doesn't want to give organs to anybody. Mm-hmm. All right, good to know. I said which organ. I'll give a kidney. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Just yeah, the kidney. I mean, maybe a piece of liver, piece of lung, but you know, big serious things. No, I need those. You know. All right. Uh, do you have any irrational fears? 
mean, as we're, as we're sitting here, I know Kevin's are hurricanes, <laughs> amoebic disorders. Definitely not irrational. The dysentery. The dysentery. Most of the dysentery. Also not irrational, though. No, no. Kills a few people in the world every, every once in a while. I'm really afraid of heights. I, uh, I, so it's, it's like, I don't trust myself. Um, to not jump off a building, I guess. I don't know. Because, like, I have no problem on her, on, sorry, not on hurricanes, on planes. I don't have a problem on roller coasters. I'm strapped in. I'm fine. Um, but I, like, when I get, a, like, so we went to St. Mark's Cathedral. And when I got out on that rotunda, I was, like, f- like plastered against the wall. Like, I don't know. I just, I, th- I guess I think I'm going to jump over. I don't know. Uh, I just don't trust myself. So note to self, next time we go, so we're going to go cliff diving. Yeah, and you're exactly. going to be the, hey, guys, I'll take the pictures. No, no, kind of twinsies on that. There's a thing though, right? So, so I, I've repelled, I've skydived, go on planes, go up on things. It doesn't bother me. There's something about it's, it's, it's not the height. It's what I've discovered. It's the exit plan to the ground. If there's a clean one, then, then we're then we're fine. But um, went up in the Washington Monument before it cracked, and you could like go up, and you know people are all like leaning over those windows. And I'm like behind me hitting the elevator button just like yeah. as fast as humanly yeah. possible. I'm like, come on, yeah. come on. And, and, and as much as I give you guys crap about it, heights are one of my things too. Like, I, But I'm the same way. I have repelled. I would love to go skydiving. I cliff jump. But like to me, it's not a cliff jump because like I know where the exit is. It's the word like I can't control anything about the situation I'm in. And it's – I remember we, my parents, we did the St. Louis Arch, which actually isn't that tall. But we go up the elevator that you know, gets to the top. My dad's like, come take a look at this. And I'm like, uh, no, I'm good. I can see the, I can see the skyline from here. Like it was just like, oh, nope. And then we went on top of the Sears Tower in Chicago. Same thing. Yeah, that's the Sears. That that, that one's like, yeah, Ugh. makes you feel because you can you can feel the, me, the yeah you get bit of little no, no, get like, no, no. Like, no. Get like yeah. vertigo. I did that look. once like, on accident. You ever done that? Oh, you did yeah. on accident. And then the Grand Canyon thing with uh, mm-hmm. the the, no the glass Miranda. that yeah. you're supposed. Who? What? Why? Yeah. Why would you? I'm also terrified for my loved ones, right? So like I. Like, so our first date, um, with my wife, um, like first away trip was San Francisco and we were, I was going to be like, you know, all macho and we're going to ride across the bridge and everything like that. And it was before they put up the protective, um, fencing around, uh, the, uh, the Golden Gate Bridge. Um, and so we we're, we're riding around and she's like darting in and out, darting in and out. And I'm just terrified that she's going to fall over. <laughs> so, so I'm like yelling at her, made her turn around. It's not great. So same thing with uh, Grand Canyon. Like I, I, I'm plenty far away, um, but I was scared when she was leaning. Over, sure. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I think so, it's, you're scared of dying. It's not, it's not the height itself, right? It could be 20 feet or 50 feet or a thousand feet, but it's. Well, and, and I, and maybe I, I, cause I don't think it's the dying part. No. I mean, it's the. It's the it's the lack of control. It's the interceding period. Yeah. yeah lack of control. You fly Where you're like, I know I'm I mean, about to die, an and I'm barreling toward the ground, and I'm about to face plant and eat the earth. And, and to me, it's mostly there's a chance I'm I'm going to go through this, and I'm not going to die. Right. And then I'm stuck maimed from yeah. some fall I couldn't Have you control. seen the cost of health care in America? It's <laughs> staggering. So, yeah. It, well, and I wasn't going to tell That's why we're in the I really wasn't going to poach your uh, fault, but it's good. And, and we do share that. Like, it's it's a weird. It's not, it's not I'm, like, I'm not afraid of being up. I'm afraid of. See, the, I'm the opposite. The I, I don't mind if, if I'm in control of it. I don't care. But like, I don't like flying in airplanes. I'm not in control. When I'm standing on a tie, a high, a high, you know, building or whatever, it's like, I'm not going to jump. Chances of me falling off are, are pretty slim unless someone shoves me off. 
But in an airplane, I have zero control. I have this little seat cushion that floats. That's what I get. And, right? and the ability to fly thirty-five thousand feet in the briskly. air. Yes, exactly. <laughs> thirty-five thousand feet in the air, and I get a, a, a little seat cushion that floats in the water. Like, yeah, that's not anything. You bring up flying that, and I fly a lot now, but I still have a. I'll say it's irrational. It was irrational when it started. Like I remember the first time I flew, I was seventeen, flew to a wedding with my brother, for my brother's wedding, and I remember the, it was really cool until the flight back. I remember it was a U.S. Airways flying from Col- uh, Pittsburgh to Columbus. It's my entire family's on a plane. So my mom and dad, my sister, her husband, and her two kids. My brother and his new wife, and then my my other brother, uh, my sister Becky, and my little brother, like everybody that matters at that moment, is on this plane, and our plane gets struck by lightning, and they lose power for like fifteen seconds, and you just feel the fall. And I didn't want to get on a plane ever again. Mm-mm, nope, nope. And so, and literally, like the next year, my buddy's parents are like, "Let's go on a plane somewhere," and I'm like, eh, I'm, yeah, good. "I'm good. Do I have to?" And they're like, "Wait, well, kind of have to." I was like, "All right." So they, literally, like I took med- like I was just like, and this was pre distractions, because now I'm not afraid because I I can distract myself. And work on my computer or watch a TV show or like I, I mean I built some some techniques that make me feel more comfortable on a plane, knowing that I have to fly to do a lot of things that I do. But there was a while. I mean, then I remember before mission nine eleven happened, and I was like, "Can we drive me to Utah? I really don't want to get in a plane right now." And so it's the to me it was it, it was irrational. It's really not irrational to think about it because it's a terrible way to die. Because yeah. if a plane crashes, like it ain't. There aren't a lot of survivability's like, low. Yeah. I mean, the lost scenario where you land and half the passengers are alive is not, not the reality. So I don't really know if it's an irrational fear, though. I mean, this is like a, you have no control over a death and dying situation. Yeah. Like that's pretty unusual, you know, in general in our lives every day, right? We we have a lot of control over what we do and where we go and what we're doing. Not flying, you have, you have no control. All right, what's more important, doing the right thing or doing things right? We're gonna get a little deep. Doing the right thing, right? I, I'm I'm totally fine if you fail um, when you're trying to do the right thing, um, but uh, you know, you do a bunch of things right and you ruin the world. You're not going to get much sympathy. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, to me, it follows the you know uh, an argument that I use with my kids. Whereas, is it better to be right or do right? Um, and I'm a big fan. It's better to do right. You know, the the world is. I mean, we think of. If I was to pick the one reason why I say the last two and a half years has been great or not so great, I was being sarcastic, um, is because everybody's tried to be right instead of doing the right thing. Like it's like, well, we can't we can't wear masks because masks don't work, and it's like, well, they kind of work. They, they they serve a purpose. It's not one hundred percent, and so maybe doing the right thing rather than being right would have been better for us as a whole. The last couple of years of the pandemic, and even when you think about politics and everything, like, is it better to be right or to do right? And I always think it's better to do right. Because you're never going to be in the wrong if you're doing the right thing. That's best for the group. What do you think, John? Yeah. You know, uh, so kind of hinging off of that, I'm, I'm in the ultimately you try and do what's right. The, the mechanisms that are there are general things to help you get there. But you can't plan for every instance. But what you can do is look at in the moment, make the best decision you can. Um, and I don't always agree with the decisions that people make. But when I had it finally beaten into my head that, you know, not everybody has all the same background and decisions and have, have arrived to that point the same way you did. And so if you just believe that people are trying to do their best, it's, it's much more fulfilling. And, And I think about like, what would have happened if the narrative had been instead of mask becoming what they did, if mask became, we're all in this together. Right. Like I'm wearing this mask 
you know, there was a there was a small period of time where it started to catch on. Like, I wear this mask to protect you. You wear your mask to protect me. You know, like we're in this together, kind of thing. And I really feel like what would have what would have happened if that message would have if that would have blossomed. Been, if that would have been the message instead. Yeah, of especially when you look at other cultures where mask wearing was a thing long before COVID, and it was I do this out of respect for you know, for my the people humans. around yeah, me and, yeah. and just in case I had, I have a sickness and I don't know it. And if there's even a small chance it'll help you, yeah. then, then I'm, I'm willing to do that. And, and you're willing to do that for me. Um, yeah. So, so I'm a, uh, you know me, I've ever since you knew me as yeah. a, a resident, I, I've always said I'm an outcome, I'm an outcome based guy. I'm an objective. Like what's the mission? Let's get it done. I don't, I don't believe in doing shady stuff. Yeah, yeah, but but I don't always uh, admit I don't always follow the rule book. Well, I think um, it's mostly true to do right than be right, but not in medicine, right? So sometimes we have to just be right. You you can't be wrong. So, and maybe doing the right thing with a certain particular scenario or situation is actually wrong. Like what you think might be right, you know, what you think might be the correct thing to do, and and doing the right thing is is. Is helpful. You have to be right. So well, it's, it's actually like different. Just standard of practicing standard of care and trying to find a zebra. Well, yeah, right. So yeah. so at some point you have to find a zebra. You know what I mean? You can't exclude. You can't use a decision rule for every single patient, even though it's technically the right thing to do. Right. And and in the realm of standard of medicine, and sometimes you just have to be right. And you don't have to do the right thing to get there, but you have to. Well, and I think it comes down to sometimes the the, the mantra isn't you have to be right. You just can't. You can't be wrong. And so, like, and sometimes in not being wrong, you're not doing the perfect thing or Correct. the exact right thing. Yeah. Um, and that's where sometimes you're we're make, we're having this discussion discussion in an abstract where there are some absolutes where, I mean, you just there are right things to do and wrong things to do. And so, but there are a lot of our life is gray. Correct. More, and it's more, not more than we want it to be. The right? vast yeah. majority yeah. of yeah. life is gray. Yeah. And it's not that just because you didn't do things the right way doesn't mean you 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 cut corners. You know. It's just, well, does, um, that, does it point out that we have unrealistic expectations for the care that we provide in medicine or in the emergency department specifically? Yes, so. we do. Oh, I mean, the things we do in medicine don't translate well to other places. So um, I, I've talked with, I mean, I, I was talking with a good buddy, and he was, we were talking about, like, what's the most stressful part of work? And to this day, the most stressful part of our job, to me, is our recesses. And it's not because the medicine is hard. It's because every single one of them, I have got 14 variables in the room. 10 of which I have no control over, which is the nurses that happen to be working that day. Because you could get weak nurse, strong nurse, bossy nurse, right nurse, wrong nurse, and I have to just say, oh, okay, here's my team, not who I want, but who we got, and go run a recess and try to get the same outcome as if I had the best team possible. And I was talking about that. He said that's kind of weird because, you know, in the professional world, it's all about building the right team to get consistent consecutive outcomes and that's how manufacturing works and that's how but like in medicine it's well who's who's scheduled to work today no we got we got to mold the right team and so that's where and that's where sometimes it's like all right we're not going to do everything perfect but we're going to do right by the patient we're going to do the best we can with what we have and but it's it's unrealistic because our our margin of error is less than one percent but again it's not always about doing the right thing margin of error right i mean like you know we can sometimes cut each other some slack and, you know, review things in PI or in, you know, some kind of morbidity and mortality, but the external expectation is that we're never wrong. Yeah. Cause we have to bat a thousand every day. Yeah. But I think your own internal morals, most of us as physicians, we want to be right a hundred percent of the time. And that's like, you know, 
we can have these governing bodies and M&Ms and all those things, but you have to sleep at night and internally you have your own, I have to be right 100% of the time. And that's my own standard, right? Like I don't have to necessarily do the right thing to get there all the time, but I have to be right all the time. So, Well, and part of it is too how we use, I think it's funny what's happened over time with medicine as it becomes more managed, I will use as a loose term. Yeah, managed care. Well, you hear about, you know, we don't talk about the PERC guideline. We talk about the PERC rule, right? Things have started becoming rules, a chest pain rule in, rule out, as opposed to a chest pain pathway, right? Uh, chest pain guidelines, COPD. Remember, it used to be hypertension guidelines, COPD guidelines. And so the rules, when you start implying that it's a rule, it's if you don't do it, you're wrong, right. which the whole point of being... A physician, right, is that you will probably do what that rule says most of the time, not because it's the rule, but because it's actual good patient care. But yeah. there are times where you will deviate from it. Based off of information that you have. I mean, I, I still think about this, you know, case that I had where twice in one night we had a physician in triage that ordered D-dimers on a patient. And I'm sure, I think I felt the collective eye roll of a large portion of our audience. But right, these things happen. You, again, it's some, you don't have control over that, right? And um, and they, they come to the back and they uh, had no, no real risk factors. And I saw them and didn't know they had D-dimers ordered. But... I thought the story was not like, PE. Yeah. Well, no, I thought the story was a hundred percent PE. Just, and so I ordered CTs on the people, and both of their D dimers came back negative. And the pit doc came back and was like, "What is happening with you today?" And I'm like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "Well, you've ordered PE studies on all these people that you know should have been low risk, and their D dimers were negative." And both PE studies came back positive. And it was just, well, their story, it's like the story was a classic textbook story. But then when you were like, well, have you traveled? Have you this? And you look at their vitals and their vitals are fine. But they're just like, you know, I I feel cr- I, I, feel this, like I, I can't breathe. pain right here. And it feels like I just can't take a full deep breath in. And it, it was just, and it was completely random. But it just reminded me of that, you know, you go through all this training where on one hand, you would have done right by not doing anything other than... There are people... I assure you, I got an email about, you know, why in the world would you? I never got one that was like, oh, good job catching the, the thing that the rule didn't, you know. And it's the same thing, right? Some of our system is set up very inequitable. Like, no, I don't ever get a pat on the back for the 15 people I didn't write antibiotics for. But if I do write an antibiotic for somebody... That somebody on the back end says, according to this 27-point analysis, right, you were wrong. Right. Yeah. And in the end, they're going to get better in 10 days, no matter what happens. So, you know, what do you do? Yeah. No, it's uh, there's this whole paradigm between doing the right thing. And um, and I love you brought up the PE stuff, because I feel like in medicine, and we're, we, all, we all work at educations, educational sites, and I feel like the biggest disservice we're doing to some of our learners now is we're almost teaching them to be technicians and not clinicians because there's a big difference, right? Algorithmic medicine. Because technicians follow rules and don't deviate from the rules, and it's it's more about being right. 
well, the rule says this, and it's like, no, time out. You're, you have a brain. You can independently make a decision. You can put all these pieces together. That's what we do. We're about finding pieces and putting them together. And because we're, and that's where doing right is more important than being right, I think. Um, I don't know if you guys see that in, edu- in, in, in our, oh, yeah, in our no, students yeah, now yeah, where it's like, yeah. I need you to quit being a technician and being a doctor. Yeah. Start being a doctor. So.